0: Hello and welcome Deer Camp family. We have a special treat for you here on episode 3 of the podcast. Join us in welcoming our first guest, Mr. Andy Robertson. Andy is a crew member of the wildly successful TV show Adrenaline. He is a hunter with many years and successes under his belt, including a 200-inch whitetail. It's a big deer. Listen along as we share stories, get expert tips, and talk all things deer hunting. Whether you're a seasoned hunter or a curious listener, it's time to pull up a chair, lock yourself in, and let the adventure begin. This is the Deer Camp Podcast.
1: All right, Deer Camp Podcast number three. We uh, have our first guest here, Mr. Andy Robertson. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How about you guys? We are uh, doing fantastic. We really appreciate you uh, coming on today.
2: No problem. I'm excited to do it. Let's do it.
1: So um, the story of the, or the the main topic of this podcast is a little scenario for you. And we're uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of sub questions to this scenario. Um, but, you know, hunting with mm-hmm. you, um, we kind of talked about, you know, how you have different properties and how you have been able to hunt a lot of different properties throughout your uh, career. So I want to get your input. You know, let's say scenario, it's February 1st. Um, you just acquired a new property. You know there is a big deer on this property, and you want to kill him the next season. So you got about nine months to prepare. I want to kind of a step by step of what you're doing from February 1st to that deer is dead, and all the you know steps and tricks that you do uh, to prepare yourself for that deer.
2: Okay, cool. Sounds good. February 1st, so I got some time. Well, and the so. I'm lucky in that uh, most of the properties that we hunt are are pieces that we own, or they're a buddy that owns it. So I'm, I'm very seldom going on like a leased property or something like where it's just permission and I can't adjust much. So I consider myself lucky from that standpoint. Um, so really, I'm more of like a let's set this up and let's specifically target that deer. The, I don't know if you guys can see the. If it shows on the mic but like my farm is named chasing one so uh peyton when when you went with me this fall you know that's our we pick a target we pick a deer and we go after that deer and it might take five years but we're hunting that deer um so in this case let's say he's already a mature deer and we found him really my game plan is try to match in there with you know put in some food and just try to predict where do we want to kill him what's the time of year most of the time i'm gearing up to try to shoot that deer in october um, I really, like, I, I don't hunt the rut much. Um, it's just, it's a, you know, a crap shoot at that point. So most everything we do is try to kill that deer on the first cold front in October. And we really go after like radishes from a food perspective, but probably more important. We've really dialed in on the hunting blinds over the last six or seven years, um, I became a blind dealer trying to figure out how to how, first battle was like, all right, I really want to do that. And so I, I started selling hunting blinds when I started realizing how effective they were. And, uh, and then that kind of morphed into, we've got the setup down and dialed in now. So now we're hunting like mobile redneck blinds. We have them on skis. And once we get them on a farm and the deer get used to them, we literally move them based on the wind direction, uh, around that food plot. So, like my strategy when we find a deer is, where's he living? And then let's go get some food. Then we're really hunting cameras at that point. Uh, so at any given point, you know, that particular property, we're just waiting for that deer to show up and be vulnerable. Uh, we don't touch it at all until he is. So I might have 10 different farms that we're, we're waiting on that deer to show up on. And then when they do, that's we go all in on that spot. So Peyton, like at our farm this year, you know, we didn't hunt it at all in October. And it was like the 27th of October, I think, is when our big deer finally showed up on the neighbors. And we are we got an awesome network. We all share pictures. So it was like literally, I think the 27th, it's like game on. He's back. And we were waiting for that deer for a whole year. We knew he lived three miles away. All of a sudden, he moved back into our block of timber. And it's like, all right, game on. So literally, I I went out and, and hunted the next two days in the rain. And ended up the neighbor killed him like the third day that he was there. But uh but that's what you got to do. You know, so as soon as you know, they're there and they're in the game, um, then we're all in and we're all after them. So probably the biggest thing is we find the deer. We know where they're at. We get some food. We get a plan and then we, we monitor them with cell cameras. And then when the weather's right, all in. And then when it's not just stop, you know, uh, I mean, probably our most successful thing is we only hunt whenever we've, we're they're vulnerable now. Um, so I probably hunt 10% of what I used to and probably kill 300% of what we used to. Uh, so the cell cameras are a big advantage, but also the blinds, you know, cause now we're literally just moving those blinds around wherever we need to. And we can hunt any wind, we can hunt any direction. We can hunt negative 20 degrees like we had in January and, uh, and we're pretty contained and it's our success rate has just gone through the roof. Um, And, and it's a minor detail, but also, uh, you know, not a minor detail, but we're safer. Uh, You know, that's what got me into the blinds in the first place was I had a, I'd bought lifelines for all our stands and, and uh, we're not in all of them trimming up the attention that we should every year. And I know you should, but life gets busy and we just weren't. And I had a fall halfway up a ladder. And uh, the lifeline really kicked in and saved me. And I was kind of like, hey, I think we're done doing a lot of this. So I love tree stands, still get in them occasionally. But for the most part, I had a five foot blind out in the middle of a field, no trimming, no prep, everything's ready. We always have a camera guy with us. So, you know, at least another guy, if not two uh, or three others in the blind at the time. And And I really like chasing the one deer and we don't get to do it very often. So i'd I'd spend a lot of time filming other guys and just go in with a neighbor when they're on the big deer. You know I love seeing a five year old deer a six year old deer and kind of being part of it, so I'd rather go film you Noah uh or Peyton and and watch you shoot that big deer than I would go chase a deer that I know is you know might be a stud but he's a three year old or a four year old and just kind of lucky to be in that point where I really don't care about killing anything um I'd rather be a part of the quest for something bigger. And, you know, now through the network of everybody that's crazy, like we are, uh, you know, there's a good chance in a year that you're hunting a 200 inch deer with one of the neighbors. And so if you, if you know enough buddies, somebody's on one and it's so much fun when everybody's in the chase and we're all going after that one deer and, and, you know, it's just, it's cool to be part of it. And that's what, I guess the camera opens up that opportunity where we can go do that too. But, um, really the big thing, it's not very, you know, there's nothing that I have that's new. It's just being persistent. And then, uh waiting you know and and waiting and waiting and waiting and i mean i i think at the farm by by you peyton on our piece there um we've killed the last three deer we've killed have all been really big deer and you know we've hunted them and called the shot on all three of them where we knew the night that we were going to kill that deer so the first one was paisley's buck and we shot him on opening night and we knew that i mean we just we built a plot in the woods for that deer we put the blind there. Uh, And we waited and Paisley, we knew it was her deal. Um, You know, we knew it was her opportunity. So, hey, bud. (laughs)
0: Mason's
2: (laughs) joining me. I didn't even know he was home. He was at the neighbor's house. Yep. Come here. We're making a video, bud. You want to say hi? Making a movie. Um, But uh, Uh so the, uh, you know, that was a fun one where we all summer we waited and we knew that deer was going to be there. October 1st it was a cold front and it was just a matter of who's going to pull the trigger and my daughter was the was the lucky lucky one to draw the straw the next year the same spot a year later um, we had ironically the deer was in the field when Paisley shot her buck and he was a he was probably a three-year-old at the time but he was like 150 inch three-year-old 10 and so the the next year um, we were waiting to see what he was didn't have any pictures of him and Same deal though. We're like, whenever we get, whenever that deer gets back, we need to get on him and try to go kill him. We got a picture of him at 11 a.m. on like October 25th, I think it was. Um, so literally one picture of the deer. It was raining, and I told my dad, I'm like, I and I, and we actually had a cold front roll in. It was like the best cold front of October. And my, I had one camera, and my buddy Mac, who was filming with me, he was on a big deer too. So Mac's like, I'm going to go after this booner. Um, and I thought, well, I, I think we can kill both of them tonight. So I literally went to Best Buy and bought a camera at 11 o'clock, or 1130 in the morning. Go back to the office. I charge it up and it's one o'clock. And I'm telling dad, I'm like, he's he's in the hinge cut in the bedding area right off the food plot was where our picture was midday. And I'm like, he's in there. We're going to kill him tonight. So we literally waited for the camera battery to charge up like 50%. And that's all we got. And I'm like, we don't have time. We got to go. It's going to stop raining. We get in the blind at like three and, uh, o'clock. And he shot that deer at like 515 on a battery that was like halfway charged. And it was, I mean, a 180 inch deer comes out and he's, he's pumped up and and it was a blast. So, I mean, you know, we knew the moment was right to go kill that deer. We had not hunted the farm a minute until we got in the blind that day. Um, so that, that was it. And it was kind of all in. And then the same thing happened with Babe Ruth last year. He was ironically named Babe Ruth because we kind of called the shot on, we're going to kill that deer like a year before. Crazy enough, he was actually in the plot when Paisley shot her buck two years prior as well. So when she shot her, her buck, the first year we harvested on the farm, all three of those deer were in the plot at the same time. And we killed them in sequential years after that. So, um, that's the most predictable spot that we've got by far, but it's all about waiting. You know, and we wait and we wait and we wait, and uh, sometimes Dad gets impatient. Like last year when he was hunting Babe Ruth, he went like seven nights in a row trying to see him, but it was just bad conditions. So I'm like, just stay back, watch from afar. And then the night that we ended up killing him, we had great conditions. The wind shifted, and I'm like, all right, let's go all in. Deer came by twenty yards in front of the blind. We shot him, and it was incredible footage, epic, one of the best shows that we've ever made for adrenaline. Uh, so. The big thing there is just waiting. You know, I mean, uh, once you get the trap set, you know they're there. They typically don't move too far, um, and even if you get one picture of them, that's all it takes. I mean, literally, we've, we've killed big deer with one picture and knowing. And you know, the same thing happened this year. We didn't kill him, but maybe next year. But that Jesus buck that we were hunting uh, that that Peyton knows very well. Um, you know, we waited all year and, and and we didn't kill him. But here's what we did: we were hunting at my farm in a different county. And we got that picture at like seven in the morning was the first picture of that deer, like November 7th or 8th or 10th. I forget what day it was. We literally got down at seven o'clock in the morning and moved counties and went after that deer because we were just waiting for that deer to show back up. And all of a sudden here he is, hadn't had a picture of him in over 18 months and he's there and we know he's close and we're like, well, odds are better getting close to him. So uh, we had good weather. We just went over and we sat the rest of the day, Got grabbed lunch and breakfast at Casey's at 730 and sat, climbed up in a new spot and sat there the rest of the day and then the rest of the weekend. Um, never did see him or kill it, but that's the kind of way that we hunt is all in. See if we, when we get on that deer, just go for it and and then, you know, pass everything else up and, and just enjoy it. It's fun to fun to go after him. You know, it's, it's almost anticlimactic when you shoot him anymore. It's kind of sad that that's a whole different
0: topic. Yeah, you. I I, I I heard a lot of. Oh, go ahead. Okay, I I heard a lot of really good things there, Andy, talking about how you you know you're you're hunting a deer, first cold front coming through in October. That's something that you're looking for, um, getting them some food. Um, it sounds like access is a real big thing to you. On you said you hadn't hunted that farm, you know, a minute prior to to that encounter that you had with them. So, whenever you're yeah. targeting that that food plot, um, for that October cold front, what, what types of things, um, are, are you looking to, I guess, be most palatable to, to like a deer that time of year? Is there, is there quite a, uh, array of things that you've tried out or that you have more success with, um, for, for that specific time of year?
2: Yeah, we failed a ton. So, <laughs> uh, so it usually doesn't work, but the biggest, the biggest things we've learned I would say all came from Mark Drury. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Mark's and just studying what he does. I take everything he says as gospel. But the biggest thing is palatability. Um, I've had some incredible crops over the years, and we've been doing food plots since I was you know, 10. Dad was doing it a long time ago before it was even a thing. And uh, the biggest thing is like October food. We like green. I like radishes probably more than anything. And I like radishes that are planted in our neck of the woods in central Illinois. I like to plant about the 15th through the 25th of August, somewhere in that range so that I've got like nice palatable radishes that aren't too past their prime. Um, I've done it a lot where I've gone early because you, you got the rain coming and you think, boy, we're not going to miss this. Let's go. And so we'll, we'll go the last week of July or the first week of August. And they outgrow to the point where you have incredible movement like September 20th and every buck's come into that plot. And then you get 10 more days down the road and it's just too late. Uh, they switch to something else. I mean, that's a pivotal point of year where they move, and I'd rather be able to hunt them not just opening day, but you know mid mid October when you do get that first cold front. Uh, that's when we're killing those deer. So our biggest thing has been waiting to plant and trying to time it where I'd rather have you know smaller plants coming up in October than I would big, beautiful turnips that everybody likes to look at. They look great, but you don't kill a lot of deer over those. Uh, I'd rather have the smaller bulbs and something that's a little more palatable to the deer and, and go all in on that. And then we try to get an array of things, you know, so there's a little bit of clover around the plot and we've gotten fancy and gotten cute with some of that. But the biggest thing is not to, not to get too mature of a plant come October.
1: And you said interesting. Yeah. I've I've heard that a lot. And you said earlier, once the trap is set, can you kind of go into more detail um, how you set that trap from like, you know, this time of year, for example, you know, you're, what are you doing from now until the season to like, kind of set that trap for that specific deer?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, most of them are when we know there's somebody there, and we're we're like, all right, next year this year is going to be awesome. So like right now we have a buck that I would love to kill. Um, he's going to be a five year old at my, at our, our cabin farm. My wife and I's kind of main property. Um, we've been this was the first deer I got pictures of when we bought it in 2021. It's this farm right here actually. Um, we found his shed two days ago. Um, so he's right like a hundred yards from the cabin. So we call this buck Sidekick. And we've got awesome history, pictures. I've got thousands of pictures of this deer. I know a lot about him. So we've got a football field, food plot is what we call it. And this is like the ultimate trap. It's the coolest setup I've ever seen. Um, so we've got a lot of bedding to the south. We've got Big Ag to the north where he ends up most nights. And what we did is we went in between there in a big CRP field. And we put in basically a football field. So it's it's literally you sit in the blind it's on what we call the 50-yard line. I mean, it's, there's a lot of football analogies here. It's a good weekend for it with the Super Bowl coming up. But uh, it's 61 yards out the left window is the farthest shot you can take. It's 61 yards out the right window. And then it's 30 yards right in front of us. So last year, we had it dialed in. We got, a, a you know, there's 25, 30 deer a night coming into this spot. Um, we had, we, I mean, it's been incredible opportunities. But what last year we put this blind on the 50 yard line. We're all proud of ourselves. We've got it with a couple different things. We had radishes and then clover and parts and the deer are all walking through. What we found last year is we literally set it up like a football field with the blind on the 50 yard line. A lot of the deer were walking five feet from us because we're right on the edge. And we had put up a, a wall of uh, um, like plot screen to block it. Well, they're walking right along the thing and they were just too close and they, they go right by at five feet. So this year we actually went in on the fifty yard line. We put a couple of scrape trees. So we've got one at twenty-five yards on kind of kind of midfield on one side, one at twenty-five yards on the other. And then we put in some indentations on the fifty yard line. So we actually went in with that plot screen and we came out like fifteen yards from each sideline. And so now we forced the deer to walk right down the middle of the field. So now it's the football field, but they've got to walk through like right where the logo for the team is, you know, kind of at midfield there. And it's amazing. Every single night we hunt that spot, we have bucks walk right there. I mean, it's, it is just like fish. The structure will pull them right there. If there's a buck that comes out, it's like a 99% chance you're going to get a shot exactly where you want them to be. And it's like painstaking detail to lay that plot out, but it's so much fun. I mean, when they do that, you know, we've got, we've got 25 minutes of that buck. I was talking about sidekick coming out and standing there at the scrape tree at 25 yards and just tearing up the tree. I mean, we've got pictures of him, we got video of him. It's awesome. He did it like five times when we were hunting. And uh and we're just waiting for him to get a little bit older and a little bit bigger and it's going to be fun. But that's the cool part is, you know, it's literally we're not going to shoot that deer for 5 years. We know that going in. And when we finally get it all culminated to that, we're going to have pre-roll where he stood in that spot for the last 3 years, done the same thing, and we're finally going to shoot him this year and it's like we all are pretty confident we're going to get it done. But it's just the most fun thing leading up to that, you know, and on, and quite honestly, I don't care who shoots him. You know, I'd love to bring one of you guys and have you go check it out and shoot him. That's going to be anticlimactic. It's more of I know it's going to happen. Like, I know we've designed it where this is the highest opportunity spot. And I love to share that with my friends and my family. And, and you're taking them to a, the spot, you know, when you've got something laid out like that versus just taking somebody hunting and saying, there's a big one in here. I know where he's coming and I know what we're going to do. And there's a pretty good chance that we can kill him, you know, on any given
1: night. So did you, when you first bought that property in 2021, obviously it didn't look like that. So did you go and walk it and kind of have this like, you know, master plan in your mind of that's exactly what you want to do and you put it to play?
2: Yeah. Yeah, and we've that's just something over the years. You know, you you start with a little bit of a where can we put it, and then you learn well. Let's and then the blinds really changed it because now we can put food anywhere. So you know, then we were we've kind of now messed around with where are they at. I think the biggest thing we look for now is cover. Just get the, get that food as close to where that bucks laying as possible, so that they're there at daylight versus an hour and a half after daylight. You know, we're, we used to get a lot of pictures of bucks at night, and we still do. But we try to move that food close enough that we get that deer coming out during daylight. So that's probably the biggest thing we've done is try to just adjust the strategy. And that's where the mobile blinds come in. So even on the plot, if he's coming out on the south end, we'll just move the blind down there 100 yards. Yeah, that doesn't sound like much, but that might be 30 minutes for him to feed down You know, from the end zone to the 50 yard line is a big deal. So if he's doing the same thing consistently, we'll move the blind and we'll go to him.
1: Okay. And you said, so cover is really big for you. How are you identifying that cover um, on a property that you don't know about? You know, are you going off of just the thickest stuff you can find, or what are you looking for to identify that cover?
2: Mostly the thick stuff. Uh, I love the thick stuff. You know, we're, it's a blessing and a curse, but we have a lot of that honeysuckle around here. So the nastier it is for you to walk through, the better it is for holding them. Um, I love the south-facing slopes just from a standpoint of that just seems to be where they're coming from. And then once you build those plots, you know the does are going to tell you where they're coming from too. I mean, yeah, the the bucks may live on their own off on the shoots, but most part, our farms are very agriculture heavy. So everything's pretty easy to read where we got a block of 40 acres of timber and we got a huge 80 acre field. It's pretty obvious which way they're moving. It's more about just trying to tuck the food back in there. We've done some cool projects where we've gone into the timber and actually built a, uh, a food plot. I know not everybody can do that, but it's, uh, it's not too, I mean, it's, it's a pretty doggone cheap thing to do and you can do it in a weekend with a chainsaw. um, You know, if you want to go after it and and get a little sweat equity, it's the most fun thing that I've ever done, you know, because it's so cool when like that first, the plot I was telling you about when Paisley shot her buck, it was timber. We laid it out, we mapped it out. Um, We went in and we cleared it out. It wasn't that much money in the scheme of things. And we had when she shot her buck on opening night that year, we had 18 bucks in the one acre food plot in front of us when we pulled the trigger. And I did, you know, I had given my probably my right leg and half a year's salary for that moment. It was that cool. And, you know, it was just it's so much more meaningful when you put that kind of work into it than just going out and getting lucky.
0: Absolutely. I could definitely I can definitely see that um, I've I've had a little bit of run-ins with some food plots as well and uh, I'm currently in the failing a lot stage so <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to, to, to see where you know this is where we all want to end up right so to, to get to this point um, whenever you have these when you say you're tucked up your bedding areas right next to the, to these food plots, you know, trying to get them close, getting them from that to that 50 yard line quicker to where you can get them, you know, you're getting more daylight, daylight movement. How much of that is, can you contribute to access and, you know, having good access and just at that human presence on the property? How big of a, a is a factor in, in that success?
2: Yeah. Uh, it's huge. I mean, it's so we've, and that's part of the layout too, is that we know where we're coming from. Um, uh, I mean, our strategy is probably the most simple of all time. We aren't, I'm not walking a lot of ditches and Creek beds and stuff. Um, we're typically parking out in the field where the deer are going and, and then walking through an empty field to get there. It's not overthinking. It's just, we're, we're walking where the deer are not. Um, we've done a lot with screening. And then even that's what we were doing this week. We just put in 35 acres of switchgrass and tried to go uh, taller cover where we're screened from everything that's in the timber. And then, you know, we're going to move some of those deer are probably going to bed in the switchgrass, but they can't see it 10 feet away. So um, the big thing is like trying to just keep it where we've always got a visual block between the food plot and, uh, and where we're headed. And and then we like that football field. We sneak up the hill, go through a mowed path right behind like through seven foot tall switchgrass and climb up in the blind. And we did it like 15 times in the last couple of years with deer in the field. I mean with deer in bow range legitimately 30 yards we're climbing up and getting in the blind and they don't even know and so when you can do that it's i mean it just from literally from the minute you get in the blind you're watching deer um it's a pretty big advantage now there's other spots where we can't do that and you just kind of have to go blow them out And it is what it is um but we don't get to pick where all the big deer live that's kind of the the challenge of picking the one we go where he is you know peyton hunted with me this year on a really big deer and he lived out in the middle of a CRP field. And like the first time we saw him, we, he watched us walk in, and he was laying eighty yards from the blind in the middle of the grass. And that's a tough one, you know. I mean, it you you just keep trying and hope he's better than a different spot the next day. Mm-hmm. Right. Hats off to him. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. He he won. <laughs> <laughs> that was the uh, the ghost buck, wasn't it? Is that what you called him?
2: Mm-hmm. The yeah. ghost.
1: You, you're I mean, you yep. familiar with uh, the property that I hunt, Andy, and that's kind of my biggest struggle is like access. Cause I can only access it in the grand scheme of things from right in front of my house. And you know, when I'm walking, yep. I can't, cause because of the Creek, I can't walk in from the backside. So in the mornings there, I, and I can't see out in that field. I don't know what's out in that field. Do you ever run into a situation like that to where it's like, the access is whole, like, what do you do there when you really can't do anything about the access? Um, just go for it.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean,
1: I, I'm probably not the, the
2: most astute hunter on that. I mean, a lot of times I do. Um, but I, I have buddies that are trying out like the e-bikes And I mean, it's a, it's a big nut to swallow. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a financial commitment. And then it's also like a lot of work to just load that sucker up and do it every day. But I do think that would help. You know, I mean, I think if you blow through them with a consistent, just steady motion, I think a lot of times they're not even going to know what you are by the time you get by them. Is kind of what my buddies have said. They're using them. And that's what they're like. I'll come over the rise. There's 10 deer out in the field. I'm past them by the time anybody spooks. And that would be a huge advantage. I mean, that they do that with cars, you just roll up on them real steady. And I think that's more similar to a car where they're not threatened versus us walking through the woods or walking down the edge. I mean, that just, that plan doesn't work uh, real well, but I've also seen too, like that, the bucks out in the CRP fields and stuff, if you just walk right by them and you're consistent, I mean, a lot of times I'll like that spot, you and I hunted Peyton, it's a hundred acre open grass field. I'll walk right down the mode path in the dark deer running. It gets light. There's seven bucks out there in the middle of that field. They, I mean, I went right by them. They didn't care at the end of the day, they end up coming in feeding in the radishes right in front of the blind an hour and a half later. So I think probably pressure is the biggest thing, just keeping the wind consistent. And, and, uh, you know, and, and I'm also out, I'm, I have a very different model. I love the farms and I love working on them. You know, I mean, I've been out there three days this week, um, we're out there all the time. So it's, it's a very different animal than a property where there's nobody. And then all of a sudden come October, there's somebody's there every day. Uh, I mean, I'm there working in the timber all the time. And I mean, we've been very fortunate where we'll go out there and, and, uh, and do some work. And then literally, you know, the next day we're out there hunting and we'll kill a deer. So I'm more of a like consistent pressure kind of guy. I mean, I I'm out there running the chainsaw all the time. I'm not worried about doing it at all. And I think they're used to it as much as anything, but, and you know, like. Uh, the the farm with the big CRP field. My dad drives around it probably twice a day on average. So I mean, he's literally it's his favorite thing to do is go out there and do a loop at the farm. You can drive by those bucks and they don't care. I mean, I've I've literally shot deer that were laying ten yards off the road and they stood up at you know come dark and walk out in the plot and they were right by the truck where I parked the whole time. Um, they're just really used to as long as you're consistent, they're used to it. And so we probably get away with murder from that standpoint.
0: That's really interesting cuz I feel like that's something that me and Peyton are, are constantly um stressing over. I think we we overthink that to the max and then add a little bit on top of that. Um so we're yeah. we're always access access ac- access and you know if we're we're walking through the woods and you know we happen to see those white tails dancing back and forth going away from us it's like hang our heads yeah. and man, like, man, this, this night's, you know, this night's over with, but we're, we're going to set and keep our hopes up. But it's yeah. really, it's really uplifting to hear that, you know, that consistent pressure throughout the year, you know, it it's, it's not as, you know, it's a little bit more typical for them. They feel a bit more comfortable in that environment.
2: Yeah. Well, and I, like the other thing too, you guys are young guys. I'm not that much older, but I mean, just every year you go through, you learn a lot, you know, and, but I've, I've seen where, I mean, one of the biggest year I've ever killed was he, Literally, I had seven does come and bust me, and they blew at me for like ten minutes. And it was, I was, it was a morning hunt on October first. I mean, who even does that? I mean, it was just crazy. But we had three little kids, and I was home visiting my at my parents' house. And I'm like, you know what? This might be the only day I go hunting all year. I'm going, so I go out in a t-shirt opening morning, and literally, but like an hour, and I seven does bust me, and they're blowing, and I'm just like, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm wasting my time. And as they're blowing at me and walking, here comes walking to me, a nice 170-inch typical 10, and literally walks straight downwind, walks right through it, and comes gives me an 18-yard shot. And on paper, that should never, ever happen. But you go enough times, anything's possible. So, you know, it's uh, that one was complete luck. I'm not going to claim any strategy there. But, uh, you know, sometimes I think we overthink it with all the strategies. I think, uh, you know, just... Having a big deer to hunt is always the number one challenge. Uh, everything else is easy after that. Just getting them to be the point where you think you're there, they're a trophy. That's the hardest part for sure.
1: You think you're uh, learning. You know, you keep on talking about patterning deer. Are you do you ever do you pattern it mostly based off of cameras and today's technology? Um, maybe you know, in-person sightings, you know, year after year, I know Mark Drury, you talked about his, his huge thing obviously is documenting his pictures. He's go, he goes back and look at years prior and he can almost pinpoint that deer is on the same exact part of the farm, the same, you know, same day, Mm -hmm. one year later. Um, do you ever like, are you doing a lot of boots on the ground kind of thing by learning, or is it mostly just cameras and going out and hunting and just kind of putting it in your memory bank for the next year when you're after that specific deer?
2: Yes, 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 and yes.
1: (laughs) So that's like, I
2: think the biggest thing is do all of the above. And so part of the, you know, our main strategy is we pick one deer or maybe it's a couple, but it's, you know, we're, we're filtering out all the noise. I don't care about anything else. Uh, I mean, even, even Peyton, as we've been texting back and forth pictures of all the deer, I couldn't tell you the names of anything. That's not a four-year-old up and comer because I don't, you know, I'm like, it's, I'm just focused on one deer, you know, and like at that farm, it's Jesus. So in that case, that's the only thing I'm paying attention to. Now, in three years, I might have to go back and look through all. I save a bunch of pictures, but I couldn't tell you who they are, you know, um, but eventually I'm going to want that information. But I would say the biggest, like you learn a lot in person for sure. Um, I don't worry about as much patterning where they're at because I'm pretty much only hunting where they're going. So, you know, if they're on the farm and we don't, our biggest property is like 180, 200 acres. So we're not, we don't have big, big properties. Most of them are like 40, you know? So you're hunting a little spot. We created one spot. It's like, that's pretty much where I'm gonna kill that deer. I'm just worried about when he's there. Uh, So, you know, at that point, it's more about when is he vulnerable? And I know he's within 300 yards. That's when we go. I'm not gonna go crash in and go try to hunt him in the bedding area. I just don't, we really changed our strategy there. you know, it's just been very different. But our kill rate's gone way up since we started doing this. We don't mash in and mess anything up. We just let them come to us. And, you know, eventually it's going to happen and it's going to catch up with you. Um, but I think the cameras are huge. It is amazing how consistent they are from year to year. You know, that Jesus buck, um, I think, well, he's been a little more inconsistent, but we had him like December 1st was the first picture I got in 2020, 2020. Um, I think he came back like November 30th, almost a year to the day in 2021, 22. Um, I think it was about the same as like the first week of December 23, never showed up. Um, so, you know, I thought he was dead. And then this year it was like November 7th. He was a little early, but that deer lived two miles away. We tracked down where he's, you know, some fun, some hunters that had velvet pictures of him and he's over there all the time, but it's just, you know, those are pretty close dates, all things considered. Um, and then. It's just remarkable how it does happen that way. So you're just, you're not doing anything different there. You're just, you know, all right, I need to get some camera. I need to make sure I'm ready because he might be here this week. And so like the the big buck, we there was a, the, I don't know, if we should name him, but like the seven by seven that was killed at our farm where Peyton and I hunt this year. Um, I mean, literally we had a buddy that has a fence row two miles away where he was getting pictures and we're all just sitting there waiting, you know, like maybe he's going to move. And he had moved. I think it was like November 1st last year was the first picture I got of him. And then he stayed for the whole month of November. Well, this year was the 27th of October. And it was a little cooler that it was like the cool front came on the 27th and he moved. And then it's like, all right, now you got to clear the schedule and go. Um, So it was cameras. And then it was, all right, let's just go lay eyes on him and try to find him. And, you know, we had already I already kind of knew where he might be and where we could kill him at. But, um, you know, big thing was and uh, probably the more important thing is i i've really enjoyed the friendships with the neighbors because it, it, we're deer hunters we have to be natural enemies because you can only kill them once so there's that part of it but at the end of the day i've learned so much more by sharing everything with everybody because it's so much more fun i mean like i said i don't i really don't care who shoots a deer i you know it makes no difference to me um and i've been fortunate enough to kill a few but i just want to be in on the hunt and to me the hunt is 365 days a year And it's right now talking about that buck and talking about Jesus and like somebody's going to kill him at some point and it's going to be freaking awesome. Uh, Probably not going to be me, but that's okay. I still want to go. You know, I still want to go see him. I I want to I just want to know all about him. You know, I'm just infatuated with him. So you don't get to do this very often yourself. So you better become buddies with all the guys that are in your area that are chasing them just as much. And the more you share the more you get back in return, you know, from my perspective. So that's been probably the bigger source of patterning is actually other hunters because we can only have so many cell cams ourselves. But when you expand it to all the neighbors and all their neighbors' neighbors and all their friends and all the buddy's cousin who hunts just down the road, now you learn a lot more cool things about the area. And it just becomes a whole different game. And it's so much fun to find out when they move from three miles away, which happens way more than we ever would have guessed, Uh, Now that we've all started sharing pictures so much more. So that's been probably, I would say almost more fun than, than killing a big deer myself for sure.
0: Right. That whenever you are going out and, and spreading these cameras out over certain properties, are you, is your analogy whenever you go into that year, is it just, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to cast a wide net. I'm going to cast a wide net as I can with the particular set of cell cameras or, you know card cameras, whatever I have. And then as that net has been casted, I'm going to use that Intel along with the boots on the ground, time hunting and past experiences to, to maybe narrow that circle down to, to get to this deer. And, um, mm-hmm. while, while you're going through that process of kind of narrowing down, uh, your scope on where you have your, your cameras at, how are you going to, um, how many times are you moving those like throughout, throughout the yeah. season?
2: Yeah. Good question. Um, some years I'm really good at it and I look like I know what I'm doing. And then this year was terrible. So I, I do, I go broad net. So I'll, I'll try to get a couple cameras at every farm and every, and it might just be wherever I can put a camera. You know, it might not even be my property, just might be the neighbors and they let you throw a camera in the ditch. And most of them aren't cell cameras. I've got all my old school Bushnells that I'm like, all right, let's run that and throw it on a gate and try to get a picture of a deer in the summer and find somebody of interest. And then uh, once we kind of get an idea of who we're going after, then it's like, all right, let's put a let's put a couple cameras there, and then I try to forget about everything else once we find them. So like this year, we had the deer that Peyton and I went after. He was like a two twenty, like a legit big deer. I saw him in person mid October, and it was like the next day I went and picked up all the cameras from everywhere else, and I moved them all in to go try to find that deer. And that you know that was aggressive because I don't normally have a deer that big, but I had seen him last year and I knew he was around there and he finally showed back up and I'm like boom got to go. So I went and put out like 10 cameras the next day. I went and got the tractor, I mowed paths, I I mean it was like game on the next day. We're hanging stands, we're getting everything ready and we knew where he was. So ironically I put like I ended up with me, me and my buddy and my dad, I think we had like 20 cameras there covering every path where we thought it would be. Never got a single picture of him. Even though we filmed him for, you know, 20 minutes the like the night before and then we had all the cameras out. It is what it is. And the neighbors had cameras and everybody knew about him, but that one almost was so big that nobody was talking about. That one was a little, <laughs> it was, it was different, but it was like, I'm, I'm like, I have information I'm trading anybody. Anybody have anything? Now that the season's over, I just talked to the neighbor this morning. He's actually going to send me a clip. He had him at 50 yards and has really good footage. So uh, I haven't seen it yet and I don't even have a great picture of him, but uh, you know, if, if he's not, we don't know if he's dead or not. We think he is, but, uh, uh it's just one of those deals where the bigger ones get interesting but uh
0: but no like i try to move the fleet.
2: <laughs> yeah 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 but i try to move the fleet and go after kind of the one deer and go all in i'd rather it's just the chase you know i mean i someday i'd like to go with like no cameras i think that sometimes we ruin it because it is depressing when you don't get the pictures and it becomes less fun sometimes but i you know it, to me, the hunt is a lot of the, that part, like trying to get them to be that old, trying to find them and then trying to pattern them is the hunt. Like shooting them is almost anticlimactic and kind of sad. Um, I mean, I had a buck I hunted last year that I literally didn't even take my bow. So, you know, I mean, it was, it, I, I went and took my camera for two days hunting this deer. Um, just cause I kind of like we had a, so my, my partner, my buddy that hunts with me had actually, uh, had hit him. And I, we thought he was dead and he came back like 12 hours later. And so we we keep hunting and we saw him like nine more days straight. And it was kind of like, man, what are we going to do when he's gone? Like, we're going to need something to do. So I, I was going out and I had another buddy coming in town. Like I really want him to go after him. So I literally just went out and took my camera. Like, I hope he comes by at 10 yards. It's going to be awesome. And I got the same thrill out of hunt. I mean, I'm still getting up. It's coldest mornings of the year. I'm going out there with a camera, no bow. And I do it again. You know, I mean, it was you can only get to shoot them once, so that's the it's the only unfortunate part about our whole uh, our whole game is that it ends at some point, and then it takes a lot to replenish it and go find another one. I know you're going through that too, Peyton, with your year. <laughs>
1: yeah, I was just about to say. I mean, I definitely know where you're coming from now. I mean, the amount of times I talked to you, talked to Noah, talked to Jesse about you know Trident, you know, just the hundreds and hundreds of pictures. All you think about every single that's all I thought about every single day, and it's like boom, he's dead. Like shit. Now what? You know, it was I was actually a lot more upset than I thought I would be just because I enjoyed like trying to figure him out so much.
2: Yeah. No, we had, I mean, and that's where, and now, I don't know. I don't know if it's good or bad, but like last year, we had like 190 inch deer on my farm that we said we were going to pass. And one of my neighbors like, there is no way you can do that. I'm like, I mean, I don't want to shoot him because I don't want him to be gone. So I'm like, I know he's going to get shot. I know everybody else. And you should. There's no right rational way to do that, but I'm like, "Ah, let's see what, what he can do." You know, I mean, I'm like, "Let's yeah. see. It'll be fun." And and he got shot first day of shotgun first 10 minutes, you know. Uh and it's it is what it is, but I knew the risk and I thought it was worth the chance. He made it to like November 17th, so that was longer than I thought he would. Um but if you do that 10 times, one of them or two of them or five of them are going to make it through. I mean, a lot of times when they hit that age, they start to take care of themselves. Um and you know, a lot of guys can't hold it together when they get that 190 coming in. That takes a lot to do it right and, and make it happen.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right, so, uh I'm going to s- switch up the scenario a little bit here. Let's say you get a, a permission piece, Andy. You can't do, mm-hmm. you know, you really can't do much to the property. Let's say you get access September 1st. You know there's a 200-incher that you want to kill that year. You know, kind of, can you take us yep. through, you know, what you would do from September 4th forward to figure out that kind of deer?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Good question. That's a good one. Um, That's, I mean, in today's age, it's probably just gotta be cell cameras. I mean that, you know, I would probably do some, some very simple things. I mean, I, I am a big fan of like putting out scrape trees and just kind of trying to create, if nothing else, just create where you want them to stand and visualize what you want to happen and try to do everything you can for that. Uh, I mean, you still have time September 1st to go do that and you're going to get some cool pictures, but you're also probably going to want to hunt those spots that you're setting up. So I would do something like that. Um, that might be a little bit late in the game, but, um, you could even go in and like you can put up snow fence and try to create some funnels that kind of way. Um, that's something that we're, we're, I'm debating on right now. We were, we've got a big gate gap where it's, or basically it's like a hundred yard field opening where deer are walking through coming from a long finger. And we're debating on like, do can we just go let's go put in like a fifty yard long fence that comes out of the woods on one side and just forces them around the edge so that they're always within bow range. Um, and you know what? That's like at the end of the day, the snow fence is like forty-eight bucks and then some T posts that we had laying around. So it's, you know, it's a relatively cheap thing. You can go do it. And in the in three nights the deer are adjusted and now all of a sudden they're walking through this way. Um, so small stuff like that, just to try to create that opportunity and and do everything you can. Um, but the biggest thing would probably be just change nothing if you're that close in the game and, you know, just try to try to find where they're at and adjust and just, you know, that's going to be one of micro adjustments Hunt the first night where you can see everything Hunt the second night close to where they're coming out and figuring it out and, and then just stay on them till you can get them. I would have a different strategy if it was like that, you know, um, where I've got a limited time, but I would try to kill them sooner on a piece like that.
0: And going back to where you're, you're thinking on whatever you're saying you're, you're. Why are you as not uh, a, a fan of the rut as you are as that first cold front in, in October? Can you kind of explain like what the deer are doing that time to where that's you know why you see that time of year typically being a higher success rate? Yeah, I I used to
2: love the rut when I was killing like a nice deer because you can I think you it's the best opportunity to go shoot a nice deer by far. You're gonna see them; they're out there. But I think to kill a specific deer, it's so much harder. And so when you're just literally you're going after this one, that's when they become ghosts and they go. They might be a mile away. There might be another good deer in, but I don't really care. I don't want to shoot that deer. And we've had that happen. I mean, that's part of the commitment too. Is we've had some really good deer that come in, and you're like, "I'm coming." You know, I know it's crazy, and we should probably shoot that deer, but. It just doesn't mean as much to me, so I'd rather not, and I'd rather just kind of stick. I and we're at that point too, where I'm very lucky, where I'd rather eat a tag and go after the one and go go down swinging. Uh, But I think the best chance to actually kill them and pattern them is early, Uh, and then you get a little bit of that late. But I, I think what we've learned, like I like food late, I love it. You can have a bunch of deer there, but we've honestly between kind of our network and our neighbors and everybody acting the same way, we've gotten pretty good at killing them by the time january comes around or december comes around so i mean this is probably the last five big deer that i've been hunting or like have known about haven't been alive past you know middle of november Uh, and some of them got shot by other neighbors and random stuff but i mean pretty much you know we've either killed them in october or they're dead by one of the neighbors by middle of november so i I really like the early stuff now um seems like when they get that big and everybody's been chasing them that, you know, we're getting dialed in and I'm, not, I'm never further than 300 yards from a neighbor, you know, anywhere we're hunting. It's not just me, it's everybody else too. Um, and so I, I really like October when it's like, let's get going and let's do it and get after it quick. And, and then once they start doing anything that they want and go erratic or move to their, you know, their November pattern, then it's a, it's a crap shoot, you know, now you're, you're just, who knows what could happen.
0: Right. So some of those small parcel guys out there that are wanting to, you know, that they know they have this big deer on their property and they are late, late in the game, wanting to get back into it. And they say, okay, here, this, this deer is here. It's September 1st. You know, I got to try to be aggressive before we hit the rut because that's going to be my best chance of killing this specific deer on on this smaller piece that I possibly don't know very much, if, if anything about.
2: 100%. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah I, I remember texting, far the best texting you, Andy, um, asking you about the last week. I was like, should I come home the last week of October? Or actually, I I, I couldn't come home the first week of November. And you said, actually, if you're trying to kill Trident, the last week of October is going to be a much better week. And I actually kind of saw that with Aquaman. It wasn't the deer I was after. But, you know, I saw that that one week when I was home. I saw him four or five, six times. And then like five days later, yeah. he was gone and has not showed back up it kind of shows like yeah. he, you know, he, no, who knows where he's at right now.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, for sure. No, they're just, I love October and I, and really I love every day in October. I mean, even when it's hot, it's tough because they're not doing much during daylight, but if, you know, take the 15th of, I think it was like the 17th is when I killed my, my 200 inch last year. It was, uh, It was like just a cold front, what you'd call probably one of the worst days of the year from a calendar perspective if you had to pick it. But we had the cold front, we had the weather, and it was. we waited all year for that. And it was like, all right, all in, let's go. And, uh, you know, there they were. But they're just, you can kind of dial in where are they at. And they're not moving far in October. You know, they're starting to by the end but in early October, they're not just out walking two miles a night, you know, doing laps They're You're pretty much within 400 yards of where they live. And you just got to figure out the structure and where they're at and learn from all the pieces of the puzzle that you put together, the shed hunting and the tracks and the cameras and the neighbors and all that stuff. Uh, And then just wait for the weather and hope for the best.
0: Hope for the best. (laughs) A lot of hope. (laughs) Absolutely. And, um, Peyton,
1: do you have anything else? A lot of my questions have been answered.
0: Yeah, Andy. <laughs> um, so I guess where we kind of ending up wrapping up these shows. So obviously, I mean, you're our first guest on on the podcast, and we appreciate you coming, man. It's been it's been amazing. It's been so much good information, not only for, for Peyton and myself, but, you know, seasoned hunters, curious listeners that are going to be, you know, tuning in in the future to, to learn, to listen, and, you know, to be... Where, where we are and, you know, some people where you are in the game and just the love that we have to be out in the woods, whether it's taking a camera out to the woods without a bow or, you know, we're grinding every day for our first bow kill. So, you know, we, we love this. Here it is. It's, it's February 9th and we're obsessing about our deer from last year. So, I mean, there, yeah. there's not a ton of us, but there is a, there is a very strong brotherhood group of people like us out there yeah. that this is what we care about. So, I mean, circling back to, to why we did this thing. This is the deer camp podcast and me and Peyton have kind of shared our stories on what, what deer camp means to us, you know, like what it is that, that gets us up in those frigid mornings, those hot afternoons, the, the, the hours put in right now at the farm, uh, cutting, you know, ticks, thorns, whatever, name it, just all the stuff that brings us back every morning. So, I guess, kind of circling back, what, what is it? Cause I mean, you have a lifetime here, you, your father, um, what mm-hmm. is it that, that brings you, that brings you out to this every day and gives you that excitement that you obviously have about this sport and, and this lifestyle that we live?
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great question. I mean, that's probably the most important question really. Um, whew, that's a big one. So I, but really it goes back to just being a kid growing up in Illinois and bow hunting was like, I didn't, I didn't know anybody that bow hunted. So, I mean, you know, when I first started, but uh, it was shotgun season and, and very fortunate that my dad and some buddies had, uh, had luck, foresight, whatever you want to call it, but they had heard about a deer um, out by New Berlin, actually, Peyton, kind of where you grew up being shot. And he told, my dad tells me, you know, back in the day, there were no deer. So it was like somebody got a deer and it was like a huge deal you know? Uh, and so they heard about this deer. And then like the next year, they're like, we heard there were a lot of deer over in Pike County. So they ended up going over to an auction in, uh in Pike County, Illinois, and they looked at a piece of property. Long story short, uh, they couldn't buy it. But after the auction, the auctioneer called them and said, Hey, there was another piece there for sale and nobody bid on it. Would you guys be interested? Just give us a number. So long story short, it was a pretty low number, but they ended up buying a piece of property in Pike County. So it was my dad and and it took four of them to to get the money together to go uh, get the note at the bank and buy the property. So they bought this piece back in the early 80s and they built in a weekend, they built a cabin and we call it deer camp. So it was literally mid 80s. They built a cabin in two days uh, and it's pretty much the exact same today. So, I mean, it hasn't been changed a lot. There's a metal roof on it now versus the shingles that they put on it. But I remember being probably seven years old when I went for the first time. And that was deer season. It was Friday, Saturday, and then you left on Sunday. So deer season was like two and a half days. Uh, but it was like the coolest thing that ever happened to me. When, I mean, just just in awe, you know, I got to be a, I got to be an adult. I got to go do this cool stuff. We saw some deer, which is pretty awesome. But that had nothing to do with it. You know, for the most part, it was more about like getting to go hang out with dad and his buddies and play poker. And just, you know, had a wood burning fireplace, uh, smelled like smoke, no electricity, no water. Uh, it was just truly a little little shed, you know, a little garage that they built out in the woods. And I remember probably the age of ten. I remember my dad maybe go home like on Saturday. We had to leave early that year, and I remember it was like probably the most worked up I've ever been in my life. You know, I was. I remember sitting in the parking lot at the Jiffy Stop, just like this is the worst thing you've ever done to me, making me leave Deer Camp early. You know, one night early. So uh, it was just the, a lot of good friendships and in, informed that, like, man, this is cool. So then. Fast forward a few more years, my uncle started bow hunting and I was like, wait, wait, you mean you can go and do this more than just two days, you know, more than two and a half days. And, uh, and you know, at that point I think I'd got a deer. And so my uncle started taking me deer hunting and bow hunting. And, uh, and then it was like game on now. I'm like, we got like 90 days to do this. And so, you know, back when you're younger and you don't have all the commitments of life and it was like, I'd try to hunt as many of them as I could and, and I'd go before school You know, and I remember even, even when I was in high school, um, I had it was like you know starting to become a thing with the uh, like weapons in school. Cap probably can't do that even in the rural community, and like the uh, superintendent made me bring my bow in before school. He's like, you can go deer hunting, but when you get to school grounds, like just carry it in and bring it in my office so it's safe. And I got it, and so I was doing that. I'd literally carry a bow into school every day, leave it in the superintendent's office, and then after school, three o'clock, I'm like, all right, I got thirty minutes to get out the stand. Let's go. I'd go hunting every night. So it train it transitioned from, you know, a two and a half day deal to like, you know, the whole season. Uh, and then now kind of full circle. Now we've got our own little cabin and get to invite people to it. Uh, my wife just called me yesterday and said she's invited a couple of friends of hers to come up here and hunt the Illinois season. Uh, you know, it's, and it's kind of cool to see her getting excited about it. And now she's, she's working with people that, uh, you know, she's just telling about our farm and they, they're infatuated by what we do. And she gets to invite people to come do it. So it's just kind of, you know, that connection of, like you said, the brotherhood of people that get it. It's like, you can just instantly become best friends. You know, I mean, I've never met you in person, Noah, but I know we got a lot in common and it's like, man, you need help with anything. I'm in, let's do it. You know, what do we need to do? And, And just that kind of bond. So that started at the age of seven or eight for me at deer camp. And I saw those guys and then just saw the power that it had on me. And And, uh, you know, never look back. I mean, I just can't get enough of it. So shaped what I do, you know, I mean, work hard to go try to keep the dream going and expand it and invite buddies and, you know, create those opportunities, maybe for me, but mostly for my kids and my family and my friends and, and, you know, just get somebody else that can, so they can have that same kind of excitement that I did when I was seven. Your, uh,
1: your explanation of deer camp is almost identical to mine Andy. going over to scour county and beardstown and uh you know Noah Mm noah has been um to russ's that's that's the guy who owns it Uh, he's now passed away but it's literally a barn with a wood you know wood fire going over there with my uncle and all of his buddies sitting around like you know when i was seven eight years old just like you explained it and i just Mm -hmm. absolutely that was the weekend i look forward to that's where i really really fell in love with hunting was that and it was Rednecked by far. It was not luxurious, but that's what I, and I loved that. I loved every second of it.
2: Yeah. Well, and we're, I'm trying to get back to that. I mean, part of like, we conflicted two different things with your podcast here today in our stories, because one talked about kind of chasing a giant, chasing one deer, and that's pretty different from the deer camp mentality. So I'm really cognizant with my kids and my friends really that we try to also go have that camaraderie and have that and have some success. So like when the kids go, uh, we aren't shooting, we aren't shooting the young bucks like we used to. Like when we all started out and you're shooting every deer, they get to shoot the first deer they want to, and then they've got to work their way up. But we really try to go shoot a bunch of does and have a blast. And we try to set the kids up where we might have eight kids out in a night. We can shoot eight or 10 or 15. I think the last like three days when it was cold this year, we shot like 20 does between me and like two or three buddies with all the kids and everything we had out. So. Deer camp has been replaced from what used to be shotgun season, and now it's like when the weather's right, let's just, you know, we'll let the kids skip school or do whatever we need to do. It's like, let's take them all out there and have fun and pile up some does and make sure they still have some success. And And we've redefined what it means a little bit, but trying not to let chasing a big one ruin it too much because it is stressful and it is different than what we all grew up on. But it's, a, you know, it's got its pluses and minuses, but uh, we get back to... It's really not about that. You know, at the end of the day, it's more about sharing and, and kind of, you know, the memories you make and the people that you meet and how you handle it and the challenge and trying to overcome it. And, and, uh, so we try to have different levels that are attainable for everybody because it's, if you just hold out for the 200 inch deer, this is not a very fun game because you probably never going to do it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that's been the the topic of, uh, me and Peyton's season, the end of this year was just kind of going back and, and just saying that whenever we were younger, we were shooting those does and it, it, we didn't know any better whatsoever. Peyton said himself, he said, man, one of the most, one of the most fun deer I think I'd ever shot was, you know, that buck that we shot at deer camp maybe three, four years ago. And by no means is that one of his biggest bucks to date, but it, it has the most, you know, it has some memory tied to it because it is intertwined with why we do this. You're with, you're with your buddies. We're, we're out at our deer camp. We're, you know, we, we're spending time with our families, away from our families, doing things that we love. And whenever you find some, you know, that that's the the point of it, regardless. But whenever you could find a little success with some people that you really truly enjoy and, and yeah. get it, then I mean, that's that's definitely everything. It's why we why do you it.
1: It, why you do <laughs> it. <laughs> so, well, man, well, I uh, Andy, we do, well, go. say we uh, really appreciate you uh, coming on tonight, being the uh, first guest on the Deer Camp podcast. Uh, you know, we're definitely looking forward to hopefully having you back, uh, during the season. We can talk about more, you know, in season, uh, what you're kind of seeing out there sort of thing. Uh, but we appreciate you coming on tonight.
2: Cool. I appreciate it. I want to be guest 100 again, and we'll circle back and we'll talk about the success of the podcast and what you guys have learned from all the guests. And I'm just I'm looking forward to watching you guys. I'm I'm proud of you for doing it. It's pretty cool. Uh, Everybody talks about ideas like this, but you guys are acting on it, and I think it's pretty awesome. So congratulations.
1: Thank you. We're we're thank you much, sir. We appreciate it. Hey, we got some. I've talked to you about. We got some pretty cool guests lined up. So uh, just keep keep it going, man. That's where that's what our goal. Stay persistent, and who knows where we'll go to.
2: Sounds good. Well, I'm humbled to be a part of it. I appreciate (laughs) the opportunity.
1: All right, man. I appreciate your time, Annie. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Yep, we appreciate it. You
2: know what? This fall, we'll do an episode on Lou Gehrig after when we're hunting him. All right, we got. We'll save that teaser, but we got one coming up. We're watching that could be really good. Pais- that's a buck name, by the way.
1: Yes, <laughs> I have a feeling uh, Pais- Paisley deserves that one.
2: She passed him on her first hunt this year, so she's kind of like she's she's like, "What's he doing, Dad?" So, right. need to probably go try to find his sheds. He dropped him like a week ago, so that's that's pretty much the only deer that I'm actually going to go look for. So uh, we'll have to we'll we'll keep in mind,
1: but we'll save that one for a future topic this fall well look for BFD for me too while you're at it
0: <laughs> yeah. appreciate it good. see you guys have a great night you. thanks Thank you. thanks for tuning in to the deer camp podcast we hope you enjoyed your time maybe even learned a thing or two remember shoot straight stay safe out there friends see you back next time